Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello, and welcome to Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. Peter, how are you? I'm doing great, Eric. How about yourself? I'm super excited because I get to say something that I, I've never said on this podcast before. The topic <laughs> that you're that? speaking about, yeah, the topic you're speaking about today, I have no idea anything about it. I know nothing about this topic. So I'm super interested because it sounds interesting. And I know that you brought a guest on the show uh, to talk about this. this is Nino Balduzzi from Griffin Capital. Peter, tell us a little bit more about this. Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, opportunity, I think is a good way to say it. Uh, there's been recent legislation over the last few years that that offers um, that offers it a uh, an ability for an investor to to defer potentially capital gains and potentially provide some tax free appreciation on an investment. And hmm. so I think that sounds like a win win. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> so so <laughs> what what is this? Yeah, so so this is an investment strategy that that might benefit some of our listeners. It's something that's very specific and not not applicable for everyone. But I think everyone will agree after they hear Nino and, and myself talk about the, the, the this issue, is that, that it's a real interesting approach to incentivizing real estate development in a very specific. What, what I'll call census tracks across the country, and 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 a census track is just a, um, a, a, a an area of the country that meets certain qualifications, and so I'm I'm real excited to to have Nino Balduzzi, who's a senior vice president at Griffin Capital, uh, join us today on a podcast. And Nino, please introduce yourself and and and, and tell us. Tell us about your journey to your current role at Griffin Capital and also tell us about Griffin Capital. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the uh, time and the interest. I've been with Griffin Capital for actually only a little less than a year. Prior to that, I was uh, nearly 13 years at another large investment management firm based in the Boston area. And I've been in the financial service industry for you know almost 20 years at this point. Um, unfortunately, I feel like I'm getting older and older by the day. Um, but in any event, we are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It goes by fast. Uh, in, in any event. Yeah. So I came to Griffin Capital about um, a year ago. And Griffin is about a 30-year-old real estate firm, primarily in the development space. And we have done everything throughout our lifetime from commercial to industrial to um, office and healthcare. And now we're really focused just on the multifamily space and building projects in different areas of the country where we're seeing large population growth and a real need for housing. And so Griffin has been in, in specifically, I'd say, in that business for the last uh, five to seven years at this point. And then we got into the topic that we're going to cover today in 2019. And I'm sure I'll talk a little bit more about that um, as we go along. But that's uh, myself and, and a brief overview on Griffin. 
Well, great. I'm, I'm so glad you're, you're able to join us today. And, and I just think this topic is uh, really interesting. I, uh, before we begin, I just want to let our listeners know that neither Nino or Griffin Capital are, are affiliated with, with Lincoln Financial Advisors, the uh, broker dealer that, that I'm actually affiliated with. And today we're not going to be talking about a, any specific in, investment offering. It's really this conversation is really meant to educate listeners about about legislation that that I think might be of interest. And um, I'll also say that that we're we're not giving tax advice to anyone. If there's an interest, they should really speak to their tax advisor relative to any potential investment that they want to make. Um, so I, I I just want to make sure that that's uh, that's clear, and we, we've we've. We've told our listeners that. Uh, before we go into any details, let me set the scene. Many of our clients have have purchased or or they've inherited an asset that is appreciated in value over many many years. You know, just as an example, maybe they got lucky and purchased Apple stock or Tesla stock, you know, a long time ago. And if those stocks were sold, they would have a, a massive realized capital gain. Or maybe they inherited a second home from a parent 20 years ago, and now they're ready to sell it. And that 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 property is appreciated in value. And this this taxable gain uh, could very well be significant. And it, it is for many of our clients. Almost every year we're we're facing these kinds of issues with clients, and and um, it, it it can be really really important to to do the tax planning around that. Um, so so. If if a, if a client's built a successful business or they're selling a stock with a very highly appreciated gain, this may be a strategy that that'll that'll help those clients. Isn't that right? We certainly think that it can be very powerful legislation as it really provides two two distinct benefits as it relates to the um, legislation and the investment. And, and the first is the deferral on the capital gains. So in the example that you laid out, if someone was to sell you know, a piece of Apple stock that they had highly appreciated um, in normal circumstances, they had sold it here in 2023, they would have to claim that on their 2023 taxes. The Opportunity Zone legislation allows them to actually push that out if they make an investment into an Opportunity Zone to 2026 and have that payable in 27, right? So you get a little bit of deferral on that tax liability right off the bat, right? The other piece of it is tax-free appreciation on the investment. We'll discuss that um, further, but you know, essentially if you leave your investment in the opportunity zone for 10 years or more, you'll get a full step up in basis on the investment. So, you know, for an example, if you invest a million dollars into an opportunity zone fund and just say hypothetically it grows to $2.4 million. You're always going to have to pay that tax liability on that initial $1 million in 2026, right? But that additional $1.4 million in, in growth will come out completely tax-free uh, on the federal level and in most states if those states are conforming. So, so now that we've set the scene, we've kind of talked about the advantages of this, this what's called a qual uh, uh, this, this opportunity fund. Um Let's let's talk about how this all developed. What is a qualified opportunity fund? How did it come into 
into its current structure? You know, what's it all about? Yeah, sure. So the legislation was passed in uh, 2017 in Tax Cuts and Jobs, and it created subchapter Z of the tax code, and it allowed governors of each state to designate certain census tracts in their states as opportunity zones. If there was investments into those specific tracts, and just for just so you, to give you perspective, there's about 12% of all census tracts or opportunity zones. And so if a investor invests capital into an opportunity zone, specifically around real estate, they get to realize these tax benefits of deferral and tax-free growth down the line. And, and what what are what kind of properties are are being developed? What, what you know? What do they look like? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, again, we specifically do multifamily, but the legislation is really around any type of real estate development, and that could be ground up or it could be. Uh, rehabbing if it meets certain conditions, but it can be multifamily for housing. It can be industrial. It can be commercial. It can be retail. It's a really broad array of real estate development. It was really just designed to facilitate job creation and um, positive long-term economic in- impacts in these areas that are that are opportunity zones. Could could you describe kind of how an op- what an opportunity zone really is? You know how. If I look out my my office window in downtown Boston, um, is that likely to be an opportunity zone? I mean, what is it? So it, it depends around where in downtown Boston, but um, a qualified opportunity zone is actually a low income community from a census tract perspective, right? So the poverty rate for each census tract needed to be at least twenty percent. Or the, if the track is located in a metropolitan area, the median household income didn't exceed 80% of the metropolitan area's median household income. Or if the track is not located in a metropolitan area, the median household income doesn't exceed 80% of the statewide median household income. So this was really de- designed to drive investments into low-income areas. And it passed with bipartisan support as part of tax cuts and jobs, but it was really the brainchild of Sean Parker, who you might know from Napster and Facebook. He'd done a lot of philanthropic work, and he really really wanted to see his dollars being put to good use in these types of areas. So he was able to gather support within Washington and ultimately get this passed. Now, I will say you think low-income areas, you know, Section 8, things like that. There certainly are some areas where, you know, the real need for economic development and um, real estate development is is at a premium in those areas. However, the census tracts were drawn by the governors of each state in 2018, but they were using 2010 census data. So we were coming out of the global financial crisis, and you know when they were doing these 2010 census numbers, you know things were not exactly really favorable in this country. You fast forward to 2018, they were using the 2010 data, and there's a lot of areas that had already seen a ton of revitalization. And the governors really used this to to dr- continue to drive development into these areas that you know might have not needed it in 2018. Hi, this is Catherine Broy from the Raskin Planning Group. Apologies for the interruption. Thanks so much for listening to Wealth is in the Details. We hope you're enjoying it so far. If you have any questions or would like to talk more about this topic, 
please visit our website at www.raskinplanning.com. Look for the podcast's show notes and connect with us via social media. So, so the idea is that a, an, an investment um, fund is established that will in, in buy or, or develop a property in these opportunity zones that are really designed by each state. And there, could, there may be very, there may be multiple uh, zones in, in any certain area. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I think just w- for what I, I know about it, um, it, it the, the, this whole investment strategy and, and, and the advantages from a tax perspective are a little bit complicated. Um, and I thought the best way to, to talk about it was thinking about a, 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 a different phases of this process where someone, um, an in- investor realizes a, a capital gain and um, there are different, there are different timelines. And I, I thought it would be helpful to have you kind of go through these different phases of, of this investment from a timeline perspective. Sure. So, you know, everyone's a little bit different and I can you know speak about kind of the multifamily life cycle um, and, and what, what we're doing, you know, specifically, but um, it, it, from Griffin as a, as a whole, you know, you might have a little bit of a different experience if you're building something that's industrial or, or if you're building, or, excuse me, buying a project and, and renovating it. Right. Um, but, you know, in general, from our standpoint, it takes us about 18 to 24 months to build a property. So we're just putting capital to work that we've brought in that clients have given us that's from, you know, their capital gain events. Right. So, um, essentially nothing's going to happen with the portfolio at that point. And then we're going to start to lease up. And if you think about what we're building, we're building very large projects anywhere from, um, 300 to 500 unit buildings in desirable areas that just happen to be in opportunity zones. So after we build, we lease up and that takes us about 12 to 14 months. And then, um, we'd like to go out for refinancing. You know, we're carrying construction capital on that. We go out for refinancing and someone will give us a valuation on the portfolio. And we're able to give some capital back to shareholders at that point, because hopefully, you know, things are going well and we've built a project for X and we're getting it uh, praised for Y and that Y is higher than what X is. So we're going to give some capital back to shareholders at that point. And then we're operating a stabilized portfolio in which we're kicking off income that's coming from the rents that are in the portfolio, right? Um, you know, pretty diversified uh, rental base. So um, that'll come on a quarterly basis through the end of the life of the portfolio. And then we'll look for the liquidity event, which could be any number of ways, but, you know, selling the portfolio outright would probably be the most direct way to do it. Right. So if you have a bunch of different assets in a bunch of different places across the country, you know, you might be able to sell that, that property to some sort of institutional investor. And, you know, at that time, any gain in the portfolio, as I mentioned, um, comes out tax-free on a federal level. And depending on the state that the client is located in and domiciled in, you know, could quite possibly be uh, tax-free on the state level as well. There's some states that are conforming, some states that are non-conforming. You know, you mentioned Boston. Unfortunately, Massachusetts is what's called a non-conforming state, which essentially means that they, you know, they want their 
their money. So um, there, that would not be tax regrowth in Massachusetts, but other states, it, it would be depending on where you're domiciled. So the key is that appreciation becomes tax-free as long as the property is held for for 10 or, or longer years. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's a, that's a legislation piece, you know, that's certainly not any uh, sponsor piece, but that's, that's part of the legislation. They wanted to incentivize longer term holdings in these opportunity zones. You actually don't have to get out after 10 years. The legislation says that you can actually stay until 2047. Okay. Experience tax-free growth. So if the property is doing well, um, maybe the, uh, the investment firm that's, that's, that's managing the fund will, will keep the, keep the property going. Could quite possibly. Yep. Yeah. So, so back to the investor, our listener who, who they've generated a gain. What's the, the time horizon? You know, how long does the investor have to, to invest in these qualified opportunity zone funds? Yeah. Good question. Thanks. Um, you know, a lot of times they get confused with what's called a 1031 and there's certain rules around 1031 where you only have 180 days to invest and you need to go through a qualified intermediary, things like that. You know, that is not necessarily the case in an opportunity zone fund. Um, there's no qualified intermediary. It also, again, is only around capital gains and it does not include any principal. And it's also not an all or nothing proposition, right? So they don't have to do all of the capital gain. They can do part of the capital gain if they like. But to answer your question, an individual investor, going back to your Apple stock example, um, an individual investor would have 180 days to invest all or part of the gain into an opportunity zone from the date that gave rise to the gain, right? So, you know, they sell that stock, they essentially have 180 days from then. Where the legislation gets a lot more um, uh, loose and flexible for investors is around pass-through entities. So investors who are realizing capital gains through a pass-through must still invest all or part of the gain within 180 days. However, they can actually choose multiple start dates to start that 180 day window, all right? So they can do it on the date of sale or gain recognition, like an individual investor. They can pick on the last day of the passenger vehicle's taxable year. Um, you know, so, so that's essentially 1231 for most vehicles, okay? Or the due date of the passenger vehicle's tax return without extensions. All right. So if you just take that last one, the due date of the tax return for pass-through vehicles without extensions is March 15th. Okay. What that is essentially saying is an investor who had a gain in a pass-through vehicle anytime in 2022 can start their window on March 15th and they would have till September 11th of this year, 2023, to invest in an opportunity zone. So a lot of folks who think that they're out of their window, may have sold a business or have some sort of other K-1 type gain, they're actually still in that investable window throughout, you know, for the next couple months. Yeah. So that gives gives an investor lots of flexibility, possibly, you know, not in all circumstances, but but in many circumstances. Right. If the gain was in the right, the right vehicle and structure, yes, it gives them a okay. lot of flexibility. 
Could, could you give us a, a you know just a just an example to put some numbers on the structure and 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 the the, the benefits for an investor? And um, so could you could you do that? I think that might be helpful for for the listeners. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I alluded to this before, but you know, client sells an asset for a million dollars on July first, twenty twenty three, and the capital gain is say five hundred thousand dollars, right? Just to make it easy, tax due would be approximately one hundred forty four million. One hundred forty four thousand. Excuse me, one hundred forty four thousand. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's assume that the investor puts the full five hundred thousand in the opportunity zone fund within their one hundred eighty day timeline. The capital gain on the federal level wouldn't be due until 2026 and payable in 27, right? If they're in a conforming state, then the state level would be pushed out as well. And um, that would give the investor time to invest, uh, or excuse me, that would, that would give the investor the ability to invest that money and have it working for them as opposed to giving the money to the government, right? Where we are in, in kind of the cycle, you know, I mentioned the recapitalization in the past. There's certainly a chance that we might be able to give some capital back before that tax is due. But, you know, I'd say most QOZs at this point, just where they are in the build cycle, the investor is probably going to want to have an outside tax plan for uh, that tax liability that's coming in 2027. But they will eventually see that recapitalization distribution. They're going to have to cash flows from the investments, which tend to be tax efficient because you're offsetting with depreciation. And if the fund is held for 10 years plus, any appreciation on the $500,000 investment is tax-free, right? So, you know, I like to put it in, um, you know, kind of a bucket of, of a Roth, right? You know, a lot of people... Um, understand Roths and know that you're paying the tax liability on that upfront to have it grow tax-free. And, you know, when you, when you um, redeem it at 65 or older, you know, it comes out tax-free to you. And that's similar to what the opportunities on legislation is. You're just getting a little bit of deferral on that front end to pay the tax liability. Yeah. I think what really makes this is an investment. So you're, you know, an investor if they're taking, if they're taking advantage of of this, uh, these these opportunity zone funds, has to really understand they're investing in in real estate and real estate is cyclical. Sometimes it can do very very well as a, as an investment. Um, sometimes it doesn't do as well. But if it if it does do well and, and likely over a, a longer period of time, it it, it will. Um, it could they could have really good results. Yeah, absolutely. We don't disagree with that at all. You need to make sure that you're making the right investment because if you're going to lock your capital up for a decade more, ultimately trying to get a return premium on that, you want to make sure that you're putting it in a place that you're comfortable is going to perform for you. Yeah, I, I see this. Um, there's some similarities between a, a 1031 real estate exchange. And I know you mentioned that a little bit earlier. And, and just for listeners that don't know, that's a way for a real estate investor to sell a property um, but, but, and reinvest the proceeds within certain time, a certain time horizon and defer that, that realized gain into the future um so the the new the new property basically has the initial b- 
basis um, of the old property. And so you've been, you, you're, you're not avoiding it. You're just deferring that, that capital gain. And this is, this is a little bit different. You're deferring um, the, the qualified opportunity zone is, is a bit different. You're deferring it only for a, a short period of time, just a couple of years. But then once the property uh, gets invested and it's that appreciation potential that um, really makes it sing. It's that that that's the tax free part that that is really exciting as far as the uh, the investor is concerned. At least that's that's my belief. Yeah, and and I the other piece of that is that this is uh, for many more gains other than just real estate. Yeah, yeah. Ten thirty one is specifically around real estate. This is for any capital gain event at all that you are going to claim on your tax return. So the appreciated stock that you mentioned, the selling the business, anything from you know a classic car that you would sell and claim on the tax return, any type of gain can be put and utilized in an opportunity zone fund. Yeah, and it doesn't need to be the full the full gain. It could be a, a portion of it. Yeah, that's correct as well. So in ten thirty one, it's principal first and then gain, right? So in the you know the business example, say so you started a business with with a $2 million and it's grown to $10 million and you sell, sell that business, right? You can take that $2 million and do with it what you want as your basis. You can take that $8 million and choose to do $4 million in the opportunity zone today, defer that $4 million till 2026 payable in 27 and take the other $4 million liability today on your tax return in 2023. So it allows you to break up the gain liability as well. It's very, very flexible and has a lot of different use cases outside of just real estate. The part that folks get confused about is that the underlying investment needs to be with real estate, um, but it doesn't have to start with a real estate investment that you're you know, essentially rolling into an opportunity zone. Yeah. I, I just think it's really, uh, it's an interesting concept. I think there's there is application. Um, I know, again, many of our clients and listeners have uh, have realized gains over the years, and and I think um, some of them uh, are interested in in a, a, some tax deferral as well as that potential for tax free appreciation. Um, and I think, as I said earlier, they need to the the clients need to be comfortable uh, with real estate investing, and they need to be comfortable uh, that their assets are 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 stay in a, a real estate investment for ten years or longer. So I think that's the, you know, if they're comfortable with all those things, um, I think it's worthwhile. I think it's worth a conversation with their accountant to determine how this might be appropriate for them, if at all. Yeah, certainly. I don't disagree with you at all. You know, folks think about locking up for 10 years. And, and I talked about, you know, retirement assets uh, a little bit earlier, but essentially it's the same type of mindset, I would say. You got to be comfortable locking your assets up in the opportunity zones. In some cases, you have the potential to put capital away, um, sometimes at a, at a much larger amount than you would ever be able to in any one single year, right? Depending on what your gain liability is. But you have to be comfortable with the 10 years and you have to work with an investment professional as well as a tax professional to make sure that that's right for you. You know, it's not, it's not up to me to say who's, who that is right for everybody. Certainly, that's not what I'm here to say. Um, but, you know, you got to make sure that you spend the time and, and do the due diligence and really be comfortable with what you're, you're investing in and with. Great. 
Well, Dino, I, I think this has been fascinating. I, I really appreciate your time and 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 thank you for for educating our listeners about qualified opportunity funds and and qualified opening opportunity zones. I, I just think it's a, a real fascinating uh, option for 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 some people to think about. And uh, thanks for your time. Absolutely happy to do it. Thank you for having me. Sure. Well, I learned a lot. <laughs> good, good. Uh, I'm glad. Be, yeah, Peter, this has been fantastic. And and I'll tell you. I know that you guys barely scratched the surface on this subject, uh, but I'm glad there's a pause and rewind button on these podcasts because if somebody's taking notes, they're going to need to pause and rewind <laughs> yeah, to get more out of, of it. So, yeah, right. That, so that's fantastic. Nino, thank you so much for being such an amazing guest. Peter, thank you so much for facilitating this podcast and bringing this to us. Um, again, I truly do appreciate it. It was very fascinating to me. And our last thank you, of course, goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast with Peter Raskin. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually helps others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corp. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corp., a broker-dealer, member SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.